All right, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we will be moving at a quick pace this morning. We're going to look at chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10. And what we're going to see is with each text is a need that can only be fulfilled in Jesus. And so we've got a, a lot of work to do, but as we start to turn there, uh, just by way of clarification, this month we are continuing. Our goal is $1,000 for our seven schools in Covington. Um, I think we're at like 265 and our goal is to have 1000 by February. In February, um, that is the toughest months for schools. What happens at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of people, a lot of donations uh, that come in. At Christmas, there'll be a lot of gifts. Uh, but by the time February and March roll around, things start to get tight. And we have a good relationship with our family resource coordinators at each of our schools. And uh, we want to give them a gift card, gift certificate, to get what they need for students. Some of it will be shirts, some of it will be toothpaste and toothbrushes, some of it will be deodorant, other it will be school supplies. But uh, it will show that there's a church in Covington that cares for our schools. And, and if you have the newsletter, you see that, that we are making a difference. Uh, little small acts to begin the year at Glen Swing and at Holmes High School. And uh, you see a few things to pray for. Um, there, there's so many ways we can be involved in making a difference in our city, uh, and we want to be a light pointing people to Jesus in Covington. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for giving, uh, being willing to bring in. So uh, Ashland Avenue, you've done Undie Sunday where you're bringing in new underwear, socks, shirts for students, and we're doing students of all ages, and there's boxes in the back. Uh, where if you bring those in, we'll get them to the right places uh, where we have need. Um, we're also giving. And so I, I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, this is a very generous church, and so thank you for that. And then this is October 1st. Halloween falls on a Tuesday night. And uh, what we're going to do, it's an easy way to invite our neighbors to join us for a service on Sunday. We're going to bring up fire pits uh, this year and sit out front. Uh, pass out candy. And so I would ask as you buy candy for yourself or your house or your family, buy an extra brat bag and bring that in. Um, and, and we want to give out good candy, right? We don't want to give out the, uh, the cheap stuff, one starburst per bag. Uh, we want good candy. Uh, we have a guy that is generous. We want to be a church that is generous. Um, but we're also going to be handing out invites um, and, and gospel tracts. And, and so they're going to uh, be thankful for the candy but obviously, we're trying to reach a spiritual need. And so we're going to take advantage of, of trick-or-treat. So if you don't have a place to go, this is a good place. So come, join us, pass out candy. We'll stay warm enough by the, the fire pits. And uh, uh, our girls will be walking around the neighborhoods uh, collecting a few bags themselves. All right? So that's Halloween. Now, today's message is, is to walk in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. And I would say all of us do not want to be fools. We all want to walk in wisdom. Now here's my question. Wisdom according to who? Right? There, there's different standards of wisdom that you see. Uh, I, I'll use this example. Um, yesterday, the girls got home. Camden's the first one. She goes out, grabs a basketball, and she starts shooting at her hoop. 
And she's making a few shots, but then coming behind her about 20 seconds later is Dia. And she has a soccer ball, and she's trying to dribble it. And she gets to the same goal, and she throws up the shot, and she doesn't come close. Camden is an all-star basketball player compared to Dia. But let's take Camden and put her up against Mirdy. Mirdy's a high school basketball player, very successful, also one of our church league MVPs for Redemption Church. He can hoop. Now, Camden's really good for her age and grade. But Mirdy will lock her down. They'll whoop her at basketball. So Camden's good, but not compared to Mirdy. And then let's put Mirdy up against LeBron James. Now, he's old now. But my guess, Mirdy, you tell me, does LeBron beat you one-on-one? Barely or? <laughs> barely. He says barely. Right? There, there's standards to this. Now, here's the point. When we're talking about wisdom, there is one standard. There is one standard. Wisdom is perfectly personified in Jesus. So if we are going to be wise, it will only be as we are connected to and living through Jesus. This is very, very important. Because we live in a world where people claim wisdom, and yet it is folly. You see this also in the Bible. Uh, If you read through the book of Judges, God's people again and again rebel against God and they go their own way and God raises up a judge, brings them back and they start obeying the Lord, walking in wisdom and then they turn away to other gods, walk in folly. And the book ends with this verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Wise in their own eyes. You know, there's a a warning for us in Proverbs Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. That's the type of wisdom we're talking about this morning. And so my prayer, my prayer is that today we walk in wisdom as God defines it. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, we are all over the place in this room this morning. And we are desperate for you. And Lord, the only way we know how to navigate through life is to find you. So Father, I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear and to respond to what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we'll start. Walk in wisdom. First part, fear God. This is Ecclesiastes 7. 15 through 29. So Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 29. And uh, what we'll do, we'll read a little and then we'll explain a little and we'll just keep moving. And so here, fear God. And what you'll see, there's a problem in this text and the problem is sin. Sin destroys uh, people. And so the first verse during our offertory, we try to get through the text. Nothing says welcome to church like Ecclesiastes seven fifteen And this meaningless life of mine I have seen both of these. So, well, let's see what he sees. The righteous perishing in the righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. That doesn't make sense to him. And he's hit this again and again and again. Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? That does not make sense. And then his recommendation is don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? 
And here he's talking about don't try to be so right that you earn more years. That's not how it works. You can't manipulate God by being good. And then he says, but you also don't give up. Say, this doesn't make sense to me. Forget God. And so he keeps on going in verse 12. Do not be over wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? And this is the key. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. You want to live a life of wisdom? Walk in the fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, as Proverbs 9.10, if you're taking notes, you might want to write that one down. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you're going to live a life of wisdom, it will be a life lived in the awe of who God is and what God does. It's living to the glory of God. And then he, he keeps on moving, and, and this is where the problem happens. You see in verse 20 that he can't find anybody righteous. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. All of us in the room have this in common, and it is a huge issue. We don't always walk in wisdom. All of us in the room have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And he'll come back to hit on this in just a little bit at the end of the chapter. Romans 3.10, Paul to the church at Rome says, There is no one righteous, not even one. None of us, none of us meet the requirements. Then Solomon moves and gives us a word on wickedness and folly. He gives us an example, and the example is that of adultery. You see this, that I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. And now check this out. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. So you have fear of God, keeps us from extremes. And here, you have the one who pleases God, keeps us from wickedness. And you see, wickedness is very, very deceitful and very, very enticing. And it might be lusting after a woman, but it also might be lusting after money. It might be lusting after power. There's so many things that the world offers and says just a little bit. You see this with drugs. You see this with gambling, pornography, greed, hunger for money, hunger for power. Just a little bit. How do you escape wickedness? You live to please God. When you live to please God, you don't have time to fool around with things that are wicked. Live to please God. And then he closes, he's searching for an upright person. Searching for an upright person and can't find one. Verse 28, verse 29. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. Here's his conclusion. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. This echoes our problem. And this is what is the main point of this passage is sin is an issue. If you look for somebody upright, you're not going to find that person. You're not going to find a person who is perfect. We were created good, and we chose evil. 
We are all sinners in the room. The fall happened at the garden, and ever since then, we have been evil. Sinners separated from an awesome and holy God. So, what do we do? What do we do? And you see that one in a thousand, zero among the ladies, uh, he was a little off. There are over 8 billion people on the planet right now. Guess who are perfectly righteous? Zero. There are billions of people who have walked this earth. Guess how many were righteous? One. Just one. Who is it? Jesus. That's exactly why Jesus came. And so you see this passage. He, he's not understanding all this stuff, but he knows that if he walks in the fear of the Lord, there is a hope for him. And this passage is just yelling, hey, we need somebody. Because we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. In Isaiah 55, it talks about how all of us have gone astray. Each of us to our own ways, but God laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his wounds we have been healed. His punishment brought us peace. Do you see how Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is pointing us to yearn after what Christ has done for us? Jesus perfectly obeys the Father, walks in perfect wisdom, walks in perfect righteousness pleases the Father, and yet lays His life down so that we might get His righteousness and He might pay for our sin. If you want to walk in wisdom, it's by depending on a substitute for your righteousness. You depend on the life of Christ and death as a payment for our sin. If you want to walk in wisdom, it's by trusting in Jesus. Fear God in all of what He has done for us. Can you imagine that? The length at which Jesus went to rescue us out of our sin problem. How awesome is our God? Walk in wisdom. Number one, fear God. But the writer keeps on going, so he deals with the sin issue by showing us how Jesus takes on sin, pays for it, dying, rising from the grave, so that we might have life. But then we also see walk in wisdom by trusting God. This is chapter 8, 1 through 17. And if the, chapter 7 was about sin, this is about judgment. And there's a, there's a huge problem that you'll see in this passage. You'll see the benefits of wisdom early on. Benefits of wisdom, you see in verse 3, don't stand up for a bad cause. Don't waste your breath on something that's not worth your breath. That's practical wisdom. Don't get caught up in things that don't matter. Another part of practical wisdom, know the right time and place. Husbands, wives, this could help you in your marriage. Know when to say it as much as what you want to say. The next one, this would be awesome at Holmes High School. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. There's consequences for behavior. 
And when students see it, they react accordingly. Oh, I probably shouldn't do that. But if someone can go to the store and come back and go to the store and come back, I'll go to the store and come back. This is just simple, practical wisdom. There's a benefit to practical wisdom. Wisdom helps us navigate through life. You see this with Jesus in Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. Sheep, not going to whoop up on some wolves. Sheep better be wise. That's exactly what Jesus is encouraging the church. Be wise. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Because we live in a world filled with fools and folly. So just from my life this past week, saw a teacher that was fired for falling asleep in class, not once, not twice, but three times. Apparently you get three times to fall asleep, take a little nap, but that third time you're gone. So learn, kind of foolish. Saw a dad encouraging his daughter while she was fighting on how to throw an uppercut. Throw it with the right hand. Get down low. Throw it up. Throw it up. Yelling at his girl how to fight instead of breaking up, being a peacemaker, being a protector. Foolish dad. Saw a man asked to leave practice at a Bengal Tiger practice. He had already been charged with trespassing because he lost his cool at a game, so he's not allowed on property. Well, he said, you know what? I am allowed on property. So he came to practice. The coach called the police, said, man, you got to go. Here comes one police officer. Here comes the second. Now, at this time, all he had to do was walk off the field. Walk off the field, walk off the field. First guy gets there, I'm not going and you can't make me. Probably not the smartest thing to say. Second guy shows up, it's going to take more than two of you. To which then he bumps both of them. The coach said the next thing he saw was his feet up in the air. And he was carried off of the field in front of the Bengal Tigers, football players. Just folly. Folly. Actually, it was Bud Whimsey who said, man... One police officer, I'm taking off. If there's two, I'm sprinting off. I'm not going to jail for being dumb. Next, we almost had a fight break out at a kid's flag football game. Coaches getting into it, parents getting into it. You know how competitive and how important a touchdown is at a flag football game could be. I saw a parent yelling at a volleyball official this week for calling a shot that was out, out. He didn't like that call. But it hit the line. I don't know what else to do. But this poor official, you could tell he was in retirement age and just trying to help these girls play a game, and this dad wasn't having it. I'm like, man, I'm embarrassed for you. And then, in a different game, we had a dad berating a daughter after she missed setting up a spike. She missed it, and the dad just yells at her. And volleyball games can be loud, but they're not always loud. There's always times where it's quiet. And this dad wanted to make sure everybody in the gym heard how disappointed he was at his daughter. Eighth grade volleyball. How embarrassing. What folly. And so in a world filled with fools and folly, be wise. But also understand this, there's a limit to wisdom. There's a limit to wisdom. Now this is, this is and you've heard this. 
All throughout Ecclesiastes, you've heard this. And this is what he says. In chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has the power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the time of their death. So you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. There's a limit to wisdom. We hope we're all back next week, but we don't know what tomorrow might bring. Mr. Fyatt was talking about his heart. He didn't know it, but he had a heart issue. It started beating off beat. He said, that's terrifying. Well, absolutely. We don't know what tomorrow might bring, but there's more. In Ecclesiastes 8, 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who gets what the wicked deserve and the wicked get what the righteous deserve, this too, I say, is meaningless. I don't understand that is what he's saying. There's a limit to his wisdom. He's trying to figure this out. Maybe there's something that person did, but he looked like a good person, but he probably deserved it. But he's like, no, it doesn't make sense. And then he keeps going in chapter 8, verse 17. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they can, they cannot really comprehend it. Limits of wisdom. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? We can't know everything. We don't know all the reasons. So how do we respond? This is a great way to respond. Response to wisdom is to trust God. Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Do you see what he's saying? I don't understand everything that's going on, but I'm going to trust God. That is an awesome way to live life. There will be things that happen in your life and happen in my life, and I will not understand it, and you will not understand it. And so you're left with an option. You can run from God or you can trust God. And as for me, I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to trust God. And then, that frees you up to do some things. When things don't make sense to me, I trust God. If you have your Bibles and you're taking notes, Isaiah 55, 9. And Romans 11, 33 to 36 are awesome passages to hide in your heart. And if you're sitting there and life is good, you need to hide these verses in your heart. Because if all of us live years and years, you can trust bad things are going to happen. And it's in the middle of those things when these verses will ring true. And we'll encourage you to hold on to God. Isaiah 55, verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We serve a big and awesome God. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. And we can trust him. In Romans eleven thirty-three to 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all 
things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. When life doesn't make sense, trust God. That's walking in wisdom. And then what you see, the results of that is enjoying life. This is, this is so awesome. And I also think that this is why so many people are miserable. You can't enjoy life if you're always worried about stuff. And so in Ecclesiastes 8.15, it says, So I commend enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them and their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When you trust God, it's easier to enjoy what God does. And then, just in case we missed it, he moves on to hit this harder in chapter 9. But I, I want to stop, and I just want to slow down to see right here, he talks about how I trust God's going to take care of the wicked and the righteous come judgment time. Talks about in the future. Talks about, I know, I know fear of God is better, even though I don't know about this righteous for dying early and wicked, getting what the righteous deserve. He's like, that's not making sense to me. Well, there's someone wiser than Solomon showing up in the New Testament. God took on flesh, dwelt among us, and he had something to say about this. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, 40, 43, check this out. So, so echoing, it's better for those who fear God and are reverent towards him than the wicked who seem to get away with it. Check out what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 40 to 43. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then there's a, a parable of a treasure and a pearl. And then it goes to this saying in chapter 13, 47 to 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up at the shore. Then they sat down and collected all the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't that interesting? So when Jesus returns, and there's judgment, those who belong to Christ will be gathered together, and those who don't will be cast out. Things will be made right. You want to know what's amazing? Jesus, as he's sharing this, says, hey, this is the weeds. This is the net. Guess what's in between it? Which makes all the difference where we sit. Because I want us to be careful. I want us to be careful because when we read that, we're like, well, I'm just going to do what's right, and then I, I won't be cast away. But that's not what the passage is teaching. We know that no one does what is right. No one earns God's favor. So, so how can we be deemed righteous by God? Well, check this out. The kingdom of heaven, and this is right in the middle of those two illustrations on what the end time will be like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Have you found something that is worth selling everything, leaving everything that this world offers you, and holding on to? I have. His name's Jesus. And now here's the awesome part. When you cling to Jesus, you get everything Jesus gets for you. The work he accomplished for you on the cross. Victory over the grave. Justification before the Father. Eternal life. All of that given to you because of Jesus. He's worth everything this world has to offer. Give that up and hold on to Jesus. That's how you end up on the right side come judgment day. And so do you see how Jesus deals with sin in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and he deals with judgment in Ecclesiastes chapter 8? Well, in chapter 9, he's going to deal with death. In chapter 9, 1 through 12, things don't go real well. The first part of the chapter, 9, 1 through 6, death is coming. All of us in the room are a day closer to death. I think the, the youngest one, we got baby Nolan here. Uh, my nephew. He's in the, the house today. He's down in the nursery. Not even a year old. My guess, in a hundred years, even he will not be here. You see how fast our time is ticking? None of us are promised tomorrow. And the writer's picking up on that. He's saying good, bad, rich, poor, all of us have the same destiny. We all will face death. And that's a huge problem if you don't know somebody that can give you victory over the grave. But we know somebody that can give us victory over the grave. And so 1 through 6, he talks about how same destiny coming for us all in verse uh, 11 through 12 in chapter 9 he talks about how life is unpredictable and isn't that just the case he, he talks about and he gives us examples I've seen something else under the sun this is 9 verse 11 the race is not one not to the swift or the battle to the strong nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned but time and chance happen to them all simple example I forget what year it was a few years ago, we had a really good football team. We were the one seed playing the four seed, and yet we got COVID. As a matter of fact, we didn't get COVID. A player on the kickoff team of the last team we played got COVID. And by Kentucky High School Athletic Association rules, you couldn't do anything for two weeks. You know what happens to a high school team that's not allowed to practice or run or do anything together for two weeks? They play a lot of video games, and they eat a lot of chips. You know what happens to a football team that plays a lot of video games and eat a lot of chips when they show up to the first round of the playoff? Well, their middle linebacker pulls a hamstring stretching before the game. We proceeded to get beat by a team we whooped earlier in the season because of chance. There just so happened to be a player that was sick on the other team that led to a two-week quarantine that led to some pretty undisciplined actions on our team, which led to a whooping come the playoff time. And that's life. We have no idea what will come tomorrow. We don't know what storms might come, tornado come through, earthquake. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. And then he doubles down 
And in verse 12, he says, Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. I have no idea when I'll breathe my last. And so because I know I'll die, and because I don't know when I'll die, how should we live? And the answer is to walk in wisdom, enjoy God. Enjoy the life and the blessings God has given you. And he's very, very specific in this. If you see in the text, chapter 9, 7 through 10, very, very clear. Let's read it. Chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with joyful hearts, for God has already approved what you do. He, this is going back to the garden. Like there were so many trees you could have eaten from. Adam and Eve weren't worried about food. Everything was provided for them and it was good. Always be clothed with white and always anoint your head with oil. That's an act of celebration. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Enjoy your marriage, enjoy your spouse. So many times, spouses are complaining instead of giving thanks to God for their helper. Like husbands, wives are described as a precious jewel, a precious gift given by God. There should be rejoicing in the marriage relationship. And when you remember, you're given 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years together, it flies by. So enjoy today. You do not have time to complain about your wife or complain about your husband. Cherish and love them. That's a gift from God. And then, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For this is the realm, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. You can't work after you breathe your last. Now is the time. And so he's saying, take advantage of the opportunities God has given you. If you teach, teach to the glory of God. If you're a student, study to the glory of God and get after it. If you're starting a business, do it for the glory of God and work. Go after it. Wherever God has placed you, whatever opportunities He's brought your way, enjoy it. Life is a gift. And death is coming. So now is the time. And so we see even here, there's a cry out for Jesus. And he sandwiches, live now, enjoy food and drink, and your wife, and work at it with all your heart. He sandwiches those with, you're going to die, and because you don't know when you're going to die, enjoy it. Death is a huge problem. It's a huge obstacle. And here's what we need to understand. People who do not know Jesus should be terrified of death. Because in death, it doesn't get better it gets worse. For those in Christ, it only gets better. In Jesus, he takes care of both of these issues. He takes care of both the issue of death and he takes care of the issue of joy. In John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. You want to walk in wisdom? Walk with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, and this is a great verse to live by. This is one of the, the few life verses uh, that I have. 
It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So, so right now, look at your life. Look at the things you do. Are they done to the glory of God? Are you working at them in such a way that it brings glory and honor to God? And then finally, walk in wisdom. Walk with God. This is, this is life. And this goes from uh, chapter 9, verse 13, all the way through the end of chapter 10, verse 20. And, and there's just practical wisdoms. And just for time's sake, we're going to fly by these. Pay attention to wisdom and wise counsel. Practical wisdom. Pay attention to wisdom and, and wise counsel. Now, here's, here's the problem. Wisdom is often not the loudest voice you hear. In Ecclesiastes 9.17, it says, The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. It's amazing how much time and media coverage we give to fools who are yelling. That's not where wisdom's found. Wisdom is personified in Jesus, and you can know him through his word. And if your wise counselor is pointing you away from God, that's not wise counsel. Wise counsel lines up your life with the word of God. God is all wise. His word is true. Wisdom is found within. Pay attention to wisdom and wise counsel. And, and this, is, this is one of my fears for my daughters, for the high school students that I've had over the last 11 years. They're so many loud fools saying this is what you should spend your life on this is what you should pursue this is what will bring you happiness listen to wisdom and wise counsel then you go on pay no attention to fools and they are easy to spot you see this in 10 1 through 3 verse 3 says even as fools walk along the road they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are pretty simple I can understand that. It doesn't take long for you to spot a fool. Listen. Listen to how they talk. Look at what they do. And then in verse 1 it says, And as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, a little folly over outweighs wisdom and honor. And you're like, what in the world? Dead flies and perfume. What it's saying is it doesn't take much to ruin it. One bad apple runs the bushel. Maybe you've heard that saying. It doesn't take much to mark your life with foolishness if you're hanging out with a fool. Be very, very, very careful. He moves on. Pay attention to how you respond. This is verse 10, or chapter 10, 4 through 9. And he's talking about a leader, but it applies in so many ways. So like when your coach comes at you, when a boss comes at you, when a spouse comes at you, when a parent comes at you, this is how we should respond. Pay very careful attention how we respond in verse 4 says if a ruler's anger rises against you do not leave your post calmness can lay great offenses to rest calm response proverbs 51 says a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger how many fights could be avoided if we just gave a soft answer and then he moves on pay attention to your life this is uh, chapter 10 verse 10 says, if your axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, I think this is a great illustration for life. 
You want to make a difference in this world? You only get one life, one hack at it? I want to be sharp. I don't want to be dull. And there's things in this world that will dull your blade. I want to pursue Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul's word to Timothy here, it says, keep close watch on your life, on yourself. Look at your life. Pay attention to how you're living. What's leading you away from God? And then what are those things that are stirring your affections for God? And go after those things. Pay attention to timing. I read this the first time and I laughed. Chapter 10, verse 11. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. I don't know about you. Don't be a snake charmer. What it's saying is, hey, there's a time and a place and you better have patience. And this is so important. Know when and what to do. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, uh, there was a tribe of Issachar, and it said, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We are desperate for some men of Issachar. We're desperate for some people who understand the times and know what to do. We keep reading through, pay attention to your words, and this is uh, chapter 10, verse 12 and 20. It says, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. Are your words gracious? It's amazing when I see a principal do an observation with a teacher, and they give a bad review, how damaging that could be to the teacher. And yet, during the same observation, another principal will say same, cover the same area, say it in a different way. Hey, we're all working on this. This is one area that we can improve in. I can help you. Gracious words bring life. And so many of us don't offer that to others. You want to be different from everybody else on the planet? Be gracious in your speech. And, and then <laughs> he ends, and this is also funny. Verse 20, Do not revile the king, even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words... And a bird on the wing may report what you say. Hey, be careful what you say. Isn't it amazing how it gets around? Like, how does she find out I said that about her? Everybody hears. And news travels fast. So pay attention to what you say. And I'll leave you with this. And this is where it goes back to a gospel truth. You want to live your life to the glory of God? Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You want to walk in wisdom? It comes through a relationship with Jesus. When you get Jesus, he gives you his Spirit. As you live life, you walk by the Spirit. You want to be wise? Walk with God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you are at work. I pray for clarity over your word. I pray that you help us walk in wisdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.